0: Ah, good morning. Uh, we are going to be uh, taking the Lord's Supper communion together this morning uh, at the end of the preaching time. And there it is. How did it get there? Ah, that's amazing. So, feel free to come on up while I'm doing a little bit of introductions now, or if you want to wait till the end to come up and get it. But you're not interrupting me if you come up and get it now. But just hang on till the end of the preaching time, and we'll have that time together. On, uh, just so you know, on the pastoral search, there's another interview coming up in less than two weeks. So be praying as we walk through that as well. And I just wanna mention one other thing about the love where you live. Um, This church has had uh, these annual uh, equipping conferences except for last year. And I've heard about them and it sounds like they're good, but everything that I'm drawing in says that this one is special. So if you can be a part of it, uh, please take that very seriously. Um, We're going to be moving into 1st John. So John was one of the twelve apostles. John wrote the Gospel of John. And he wrote 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John, and Revelation. So, uh, these five books, the author is John. I don't know why John is just John and the second one is 1st John, if John was first and 1st John is actually second, but that's, we're gonna go with tradition and we're gonna call 1st John, 1st John. If you are looking for it, it's near the end of the New Testament. After all of the other books uh, you're getting right down to the end which is Revelation and there you have first John. John the apostle seems to have thought that he was the favorite. His tendency when he writes about the events that took place in the life of Jesus If he's making note that he was there when this event took place he'll say Peter was there and James was there and so was the disciple that Jesus loved so he just used the names on the others but he was referring to himself as if he was convinced that he was the favorite now my My sense is that if there was an argument that broke out, it would go something like this. I'm the favorite. No, I'm the favorite. No, I'm the favorite. That Jesus had this way with those disciples that they would have thought, well, look how much he loves me. I must be the favorite. And he is also the one who probably writes the best stuff in the New Testament about love. He's the one who recorded, for God so loved the world. He's the one who said, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. He's the one who writes that God is love. And we also know that 1 John, even though it's a, a short book of the Bible that if you go and read in the Gospel of John chapters 13 through 17 you have themes like Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. You have uh, Jesus telling them that he would give them a comforter. You have Jesus described as the way, the truth, and the life you have the emphasis of the Holy Spirit. You have the vine and the branches and prayer and unity. And in John chapter 13 through 17, the themes that are in those chapters are the same themes that we find in 1 John. So in 1 John, it's not like some new truth, but an additional emphasis on what has always been true. Um, by the time John wrote 1 John he was not a young man in fact he was old enough that he would have considered me a young man that's old so let's look at the timing of first John and to put things into perspective the death and resurrection of Jesus was about 33 AD. And 20 years later, approximately after the resurrection of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, as a missionary, started a church in Ephesus. That's about 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. Ten years after the church in Ephesus was started, Paul wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus that's in our Bible as the book of Ephesians. But 1 John was not written until almost 100 years after the birth of Jesus. So we're talking really quite a a bit of an expanse of time and compared to the rest of the New Testament, when we get to 1 John and when we get to Revelation, we're now getting to, the, to those parts of the New Testament that are really stretched away from the beginnings of the church. It's been around for a while. By the time 1 John is written, all of the other apostles have died. And John's the one who's left, he's the old man. And so by the time he is writing this, um, this book that is our book of 1 John, estimates of his age were as the youngest, he was maybe 88, and may have been as old as 95. So that's why he would consider me young. Because it has all been stretched out. So I think it's important for us as we're going into 1 John to kind of get a feel for the timing of all of this. And John had started following Jesus when he was somewhere around the age of 21, 22, 23. Now he's 70 years a, a, a follower of Jesus by the time he writes this. So that gives us a little bit of a picture and also trying to introduce this book I want us to look also at the audience. So we're looking at who the author is. It's John the the disciple that Jesus loved. And when John wrote 1 John as this senior follower of Jesus and leader He was at the part of his life where he was giving oversight to a group of house churches in and around the city of Ephesus. So that's why I was mentioning the church being planted in Ephesus. By the time John is giving oversight to these house churches in Ephesus, they have been around for 50 years. So they're not a young church, they've been a church for 50 years or so. And this is written not to the city of Ephesus, not written to those who don't believe in Jesus, but it is written to those inside of these churches, in an, these house churches in and around Ephesus. And why was it written? As you go through 1 John, it becomes very clear that it was written to the people in these house churches that have been believers, many of them, for 40 or 50 years because the churches that they were a part of now were starting to go sideways. They were beginning to lose or or have less emphasis on the things that really mattered most that there was other junk developing there were relational breaks there was conflict and there was a need to do some damage control in these churches that have been around for a while it seems like these churches rather than focusing in on the life that Christ intended were beginning to spend more and more of their time dealing with internal conflict, which isn't a bad thing because if you have internal conflict, it's better to deal with it than not to deal with it. But it was a reality for them in these house churches. The threats were not—we're in trouble because all of those unbelievers on the outside or against us. It was more of the problems that we have that we're trying to deal with are us. They're on the inside. And another thing that was happening were people were starting to leave the churches. Now, some of those who were leaving— we're leaving because, in the middle of all that was going on, they were deciding that there was going to be a change in what was true. Some of those who were leaving, it was probably best that they left because if they stuck around, they might have tried to influence others by saying, well we've we've all been told that Jesus is the Messiah, but I don't know if that was really true and I can believe in some of the things that I've been taught but I don't know that I really want him to be Lord of my life and uh, so there there was a loss of unity on some of the key beliefs on who Jesus is and who he was. There was a group called the Gnostics who had some influence here where they carried around philosophies that said things like, well, you've got the flesh, and it's bad, and you've got spiritual things, and they can be really good, but Jesus, He was good so He couldn't have been flesh. And that kind of reasoning led to some of the things like the denial that Jesus was the Messiah. And by the way, John began his gospel by saying the word became flesh, that Jesus became flesh. It was a key understanding of the scriptures. So some of those were trying to develop a hybrid of those things that were true about Jesus, and then mixing in some other things that they wanted. There was another group that was leaving the churches, these house churches, as well. And they were starting to leave not because of a lack of faith but they were giving up on the fact that the church was such a mess. It wasn't leaving because they had a lack of faith, but they were looking for something more meaningful and alive than what they were finding in their churches. They weren't happy with what their church had become And that other group that was starting to leave in this church that had now been around for their, this was their parents' church and all of that was the next generation. The next generation was beginning to become dissatisfied with what it meant to be a part of their church. And John is writing to this church that's in the middle of a struggle. And as we read these verses in 1 John, you're going to find the word we and us over and over again. In fact, uh, when, we, when we read just the first four verses this morning, you're going to find the word we or us 14 times. So he's talking to a we in there. But in First John, we will also see the word you about 50 times. And so in this church, rather than it just being written to we or to us, that there is the us and then there is the you. But the you are not being singled out as being a problem it is a you that Jesus still matters and our hearts are breaking that you are not seeing the better side of Jesus in your church and the you that John is speaking to over and over again is this next generation that needs to decide what they're going to do with Jesus and when he's talking about we and us he's talking to those who've been following Jesus for a long time. And he's urging the we and the us to get their act back together and to get back to those things that matter the most. So by the time we're reaching 94 to 100 AD, churches were not perfect. Not everyone felt like we. Just the you and the we and the us and the you as we read through this lets us know that there are some struggles. I also wanted to mention the style of this book. Um, if you were like me, and you like thought to develop point one, point two, point three, point four. therefore point 0.5, logical Western mindset, this book might mess with your head. Because it's not linear. It's not a Western way of thinking. In fact, one of the descriptions I heard of this style was called cyclical amplification, which is an attempt to say that there are these main themes And rather than just being laid out, it's presented, and then you go on to something else, and then you circle back, and you hit it again, and then you move on to this something else, and you circle back, and it's amplified by spiraling around and keep coming back to those pieces. And rather than being a letter, it's more like a sermon, which means we can get a little bit of a feel for how John preached And there's a poetic side to it as well. And there's a lot of contrast that you have the light and you have the darkness. And there is this light that drives out the darkness. And these themes repeat over and over again. And then the other thing that just he won't drop it. He just keeps bringing it back. He wants everybody to know that Jesus is the Son of God that was sent, that He's God in the flesh, that He is the Messiah, that He's the real thing, that He's the way, that He's the truth, and He's the life. And He's not just going to say it once, but it's going to come at it over and over again from various angles. Well, we've been talking about 1 John. How about we read the first four verses? 1 John Chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we, hear the we, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it. And we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ we write this to make our joy complete. In these wonderful words, there's also you can feel that this incomplete joy may be a bit of heartbreak. But we're declaring to you that this one who was from the beginning, the one who created everything, the the one who is that word of life, this Jesus, we have fellowship with him. And because of that, we should have fellowship with each other. And the most important things in our faith are all tied to the person of Jesus. And we share those things in common. like there's this deep desire to recover a joy that has maybe been diminished some and we want this fullness of joy. Now as you go through 1 John you may want to read through the whole thing and pay attention to the we and the us and the you. Pay attention to the way Jesus is lifted up as the one that we worship. But there are three primary themes that will circle around over and over again, and this these are the themes that John sees as vital to a healthy church. The first theme that comes to us is the theme of light. He is going to be presenting Jesus as the source of light, and that our focus is not on avoiding the darkness or fighting the darkness, but that in Jesus there is this light that drives the darkness away that in a dark room where the light comes on, the darkness is gone. And implied in this theme of Jesus being the light is an aliveness. That he is God, the the Messiah that has come. And that we don't just do church so that we all believe the same. But we ought to feel more alive because we believe in Jesus, and he's actively involved in our lives. And this next generation in the, those house churches in Ephesus were not people who had given up on Jesus, but they wanted to see an alive faith. And John is appealing they're right. We... Need to be focused on this Jesus who brings light and life. The second theme is love. That God is love and the the best expression of those who have embraced Christ ought to be not only love for God but the way that we love each other and the way we love those in our neighborhoods kind of like love where you live, that if you're going to get a few things wrong, try to—this is down to the next one, truth. Truth matters. And if we're people who can't get everything right, truth still matters. The truth about Jesus matters. But as we're trying to get things right, let's not forget about life and light and love. Jesus was not just a historical figure, but he is the source of spiritual life. And love is not only how we relate to God, but how we get back to loving. And when it's that way, you look at things like truth, and truth is not a hammer. You've got to believe this. You've got to believe this. You've got to believe this. It's something that you embrace because it's from Christ, who is the light of the world and the one who showers us with his love. So one more question before we have communion together. Think about how long ago 1 John was written. On the one hand, it's a hundred years after the birth of Jesus, so it's kind of getting to be an old, older church there, churches there in Ephesus. But it's still almost 2,000 years ago from us. It's, it's way in the past. But I believe that there is a relevance for every church of every generation, of every country and that it's a call not to be so wrapped up in just doing church, that we somehow uh, just push a little bit to the side the light that Jesus brings into our hearts and the love that he fosters so that we truly love each other. Today, more than any other time in my lifetime, In the United States, the next generation is walking away from the church. (laughs) It, It ought to break our hearts. It wasn't okay to John. It's not okay today. How do we express the aliveness of Christ and His love the very best that we can? I've been reading this old sermon over and over this last few weeks, and I just... I just keep coming back today too it matters, truth matters love matters, the light that Jesus brings matters so as we wrap up this introduction to the book of 1 John I want to say something as as we take communion together One of the reasons it's a big deal to take it together is because when we focus on the body and the blood of Jesus, what he did on the cross, we do it as part of the body. His body was broken, but He called us to be His body, to be alive, to know the light that is in Christ. And when Jesus said that the bread represented His body, which was broken for us, He was willing to be broken so that we could know Him. And when he said, whenever you do this, whenever you take this bread and and this cup together, it's realizing that we're, we're all these years later still recognizing that the answer is Jesus, and that in the church, we're following him together the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's take the bread together. By the way, I was positive I wasn't going to cry this morning. I don't know what... But when Jesus took the cup, he said, this is a new contract in my blood, and he's still keeping his word today. The contract is still good. There's the forgiveness of sin. There's washing away of junk so we can live a life in Christ. And he said, take, drink this together and remember me. Our Father in heaven, together as your family, may we always find you by your Holy Spirit correcting our course back to Jesus. The life that completely overpowers the darkness, the love that never quits, The embodiment of truth in a person, we thank you for this. May we go from this place today and in the week to come, thrilled with the light of Christ in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.